Just before we were getting ready to process out this morning, Deacon Jim pointed out something that hadn't really occurred to me until just before we came out, and that this, this 8 a.m. Mass this morning is going to be the last Mass since we started all of this outdoor and, frankly, all this quarantine time that we're going to have a seminarian with us. Uh, Deacon Joseph, who has been so gracious to be with us these last two weeks, is heading out right after this Mass to go back to Columbus, Ohio, to the Pontifical College Josephinum to finish his last year of seminary. So I would say, Joseph, you are certainly in our prayers today as you drive up 77 and pay all those ridiculous tolls, but also just, you know, going back this last year. So it's so good to have you. And I want to just let you in on a little thing. I mean, over the last, Joseph, what has it been, five years? You've been with five, yeah, basically five years that Joseph has been with us at Sacred Heart. And beginning five years ago, I took on a little bit of a project to introduce Joseph to a little bit more of American culture. In fact, I remember the first time I said, Joseph, we are going to watch all three of the Back to the Future movies. And here's the issue. If you don't like them, I don't think you're going to be able to stay. Like, it's just the way that it is. You're going to have to like this. Maybe he was humoring me. I don't know, but he seemed to like it. Well, we continued on with our introduction to American culture this past Tuesday night. He and Father Rossi and I watched the movie The Princess Bride. And it was great, and it was, you know, I'll tell you, it's just such a good movie. But there was one point in the midst of that. You know how sometimes when you watch something or read something, that was written or put together quite a while ago, and then something is said that applies so much to right now. And there's this one scene where, I mean, it's a 33-year-old movie. If you haven't seen it, please do. I don't think I'm going to give anything away, but if you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry. It just is what it is. But there's a point where a masked man is wrestling with Fezzik, played so wonderfully by Andre the Giant, and they're, you know, like wrestling around, and Andre the Giant says, why do you wear that mask? Were you, like, burned with acid or something? And he said, masks are terribly comfort comfortable. I predict everyone will be wearing them in the future. <laughs> and Father Rossi and I just kind of looked at each other and smiled, and it's amazing when you sort of get these, like, prophecies, right, from a while back, and all of a sudden it sort of hits you in a big way. Well, there was another one that I wanted to share with you. It doesn't come from as fun of a place as Back to the Future or, or The Princess Bride. But I think I mentioned you, I did a little video message when I was still in quarantine and coming back. I read the book, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. And in fact, I know from interviewing some of our recent graduates from high school, I think it was a signed reading at Salisbury High this past year. It's a fantastic book and it's about the persecution of the Catholic Church in Mexico in the period about 100 years ago. I mean, at that time, I mean, the Masons had taken over. They were trying to wipe out the Catholic Church. And this novel basically shows the story of a priest who's kind of like on the margins trying to stay hidden from this lieutenant who's really made it like his personal goal to completely stamp out the faith. And this priest, he's not a saint. They call him a whiskey priest. He's got a background that's not, you know, perfectly virtuous in every way. And yet, he continues to work and, and give the sacraments to people. But I would say Graham Greene does a great job in the midst of this book of sort of showing that as the faith is stamped out of the culture, it saps out the joy, too. I mean, you can just sort of feel the oppressive nature 
of getting rid of the eternal, of striving to keep Jesus Christ out of everything. And there was a line that I read in this book that was written in 1940, about a time all the way back in like the 20s in Mexico, that applies so much to today. And this is at a point where the whiskey priest is way outside the outskirts of a town, actually where his parents had lived, and is walking by the cemetery where they were buried. And this is the thought that he has as he's looking at the cemetery that's kind of in disrepair. It says this, The wall of the burial ground had fallen in. One or two crosses had been smashed by enthusiasts. An angel had lost one of its wings, and what gravestones were left undamaged lent at, lent at an acute angle in the long marshy grass. One image of the mother of God had lost ears and arms and stood like a pagan Venus over the grave of some rich forgotten timber merchant. It was odd. This fury to deface, because of course you could never deface enough. If God had been like a toad, you could have rid the globe of toads. But when God was like yourself, it was no good being content with stone figures. You had to kill yourself among the graves. And when I read that, in light of our current societal unrest, is when, in this time we keep hearing about statues being defaced and things like that. In fact, I think this last week in the Archdiocese of Denver, there was, a, I think, a statue of our Blessed Mother that was you know, torn apart and the votive candles were all messed up. And it's just one of those things to read this, an 80-year-old book about this fury and this drive to deface, and yet that recognition that they could never destroy enough. Why? Because God became one of us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's important that we go back to the fundamentals all the time and recognize day in and day out that we are created in the image and the likeness of God and that God himself, the God-man, Jesus Christ, has become one of us. And as we hear in those eternally comforting words in the gospel today, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He didn't just give us stone figures, right? He didn't just give us a statue. I mean, he gave us the rock. He gave us St. Peter. And now we have his 265th successor in Pope Francis. We have the continued on living tradition of the church built not merely of stone like I'm standing on right now, but of living stones, of temples, of the Holy Spirit, frankly, folks, of you and of me. And no matter how much the fury around us grows, no matter how much it's simply wounded individuals or thugs or everyone in between who wants to stamp out Jesus Christ from our midst, it's a fool's errand. It cannot be done. Why? Because in order to do that, they would have to wipe out their very selves. And you'll notice in all of this societal unrest, there's no suggestion of, well, here's a brighter future. It's only an effort to destroy, to tear down, not a suggestion of, and here is how we all live together peacefully. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And there's no way, even in the midst of fury in the face of injustice, to replace society with something different where pain is taken away, right? 
We know, once again, from the Princess Bride, another wise line that comes from it, when the masked man says to the abducted uh, soon-to-be queen, or princess, right? I guess that's the name of the show, right? The Princess Bride. He says to her, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And the reality of that, and we know it, we know it in our bones, we all experience suffering. We cannot get away from it completely. And I'm not saying in the midst of that, you know, toss away the masks, it doesn't matter. No, we take precautions, we strive to alleviate pain, and yet, we know that in this life, the reason why we have hope is because God became man and took on that pain himself, bore his cross, died for us. And you notice that sort of confusing line, if you don't recognize that at the end, he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why? Because they were expecting a military conqueror. They were ready for someone to come in with fury and kick out the Romans and you know, basically take another form of political power that would simply be replaced later on. That's not what we have. We have a church, a church that will always prevail against the gates of hell, which will prevail against the gates of sin and death because Jesus Christ has entered into this with us. And Peter's proclamation of you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Because of that, we have hope forever. Because we have the church, the living body that lives throughout the centuries, that no governmental regime can ever stamp out, that no group of thugs can ever remove from the midst of society, that ultimately the self-sacrificing love of Christ lives on. As St. Paul reminds us in that second reading, that the mind of the Lord is beyond us. Who has given the Lord anything that he may be repaid? He knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a church that will withstand everything. And that's why in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of societal unrest, in the midst of just the uncertainties of who knows what's coming tomorrow, we know that Jesus Christ is with us. He's given us himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. That that living gift of himself, that living continuation of the sacrifice that once again we get to participate in today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that doesn't go away. And so what do we do? We don't respond with fury. We don't just respond in some sort of an in-kind attack. We respond by, by praying for the conversion of poor sinners by praying for those who resort to striving to tear down the church because it cannot happen. God himself has laid that foundation stone. He's given us the vicar of Christ, Peter, who will not be removed. He's given us that eternal living presence and reminder that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so loved the world, that he comes to us every day in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So love the world that he continues to dwell among us. Is there a lot of crazy stuff out there? You bet there is, and I know, it's disconcerting. But I'll tell you what, read something like The Power and the Glory. A hundred years ago, the Mexican government strove to stamp out the Catholic Church. What do we have now? We have so many people coming from Mexico who have re-enlivened the church in the United States. What do we have? We have a continued devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, which, by the way, the government tried to blow up in the midst of these persecutions. And guess what? 
That 500-year-old tilma made of cactus fiber continues to be there. And if it wasn't a pandemic time, we could put together a pilgrimage and go see it. God knows what he's doing. I know that it's tough. I know that there are winds of fury all around us. I know that there's uncertainties. But what is more certain than any of that is that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's given us the church, and my brothers and sisters in Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That's the good news for us, and we can rest in that always. Don't worry how loud the screams may be. They may be out there all over the place, but in the silence of our hearts, in staying close to him in the Eucharist, in clinging to him in prayer every day, he reminds us, not just in little quotes from movies from 33 years ago, not in just books that were set 100 years ago, not even just with the 2,000 years of history that we've had. He reminds us in that living presence and relationship that he offers to you and to me that he continues to be with us, that he is Christ, the Son of the living God, who is in our midst. And because of that, the gates of hell will never prevail. Praise be Jesus Christ.